Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben and this is the Smoking Hot Confessions Podcast. Hey family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. This is episode 10 of season 5. This season covers the 2019 Australian Competitive Barbecue Circuit and includes recordings from some of the biggest and best festivals from all over this beautiful wide brown land of ours. In short, I'm going to be spending the year flying, driving, eating, walking and talking my way around Australia and I'm bringing you along for the ride. Once again, it's a local competition for me, the Brisbane Barbecue Festival. This year marked the fifth year that this festival has run. The first year was my first ever judging experience, and you can read about that on the website. I've been involved every year since, and this year was perhaps the biggest year yet. There were two stages running, a live music stage and a barbecue stage. On the barbecue stage, we had demonstrations, Q&A sessions, exhibitions, and eating competitions running over two whole days. It was a killer weekend, and I was really excited to have been a part of it. Before we get into it, I'd like to let you know about our awesome online shop. Our Hail Mary t-shirt has been hugely successful. And this week, I just updated the shop with our second order, which includes big boy sizes, all the way up to 5XL. The shirts are black, have the classic SHC logo on the front, Mary on the back, and come in both men's and women's cuts. If you're after some of the best looking barbecue shirts out there, check them out at smokinghotconfessions.com slash shop. I'd also like to invite you to join us at the Smoking Hot Confessions community on Facebook. If you're looking for a barbecue group that is full of open-minded people who just love to help each other out, the Smoking Hot Confessions community is a great place to continue the conversation. Finally, however you listen to this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. It really helps me spread that barbecue love. So without further ado, grab yourself a double hopped IPA and some soft squishy burnt ends and join me at the sunny Brisbane Barbecue Festival. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? All right, works better when you turn it on. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Ben. I'm from Smoking Hot Confessions. If you're looking for a website that's got recipes, tips, how-tos, and Australia's leading barbecue podcast, jump on there, check it out, smokinghotconfessions.com. What we've got coming up right now is we've got a Pitmaster Q&A session. So I've grabbed three of the, uh, of the team captains of the uh, best teams out here today on, on the paddock. And uh, we've got uh, Josh from Zed's Q. Chris from Smoking Hot Bros and Matt from Smoking Sappers, who you'll recognize from this morning with his pork rib demo. Can we have a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen, welcoming, welcoming them to the uh, Q&A session? Alrighty, so each of these lads have been cooking uh, barbecue for several years now, and they've got loads of experience, uh, some overseas uh, competitions under their belts, all that sort of stuff. So if you've got any question that you'd like to ask, just stick your hand in the air and I'll run the mic out to you. And uh, I'll kick things off. I'm going to put a just a bit of an open question to the panel. There's a whole bunch of different types of smokers here today. And uh, a lot of people, when they jump on the internet, they look up smoking, they see these huge, giant uh, offset smokers. Is that what people need to be beginning with? No. <laughs> so when people start out, they see these smokers and straight away they'll jump on barbecues galore and 800 600 whatever dollars. Oh, yeah, I'll get into it this way. I think there's a learning curve there that can be easily skipped if you're on something smaller, something easily easier to manage. 
So long story short, no. I think uh, someone else want to talk about the different types? So uh, for those of you that saw me this morning, like I ran through that, how to cook those ribs on a Weber kettle. It's Weber kettle is fine. Like it is all you need. Find one on the side of the road that somebody doesn't know how to use and their wife has made them put it on the side of the road. Take it home and then hopefully your wife won't make you put it on the side of the road. All right, so use it. Learn how to use it. Practice with it. It doesn't cost much. Just spend a little bit of time with it, and that's all you've got to do. You don't need to go and spend a heap of money on these big smokers. So my smoker, my, my offset smoker, I bought off Chris three three years ago. Yeah, I bought it off Chris three years ago after I'd worked my way through Weber Kettles and in competing, I needed more space. Other than that, you don't need it. I don't use it at home. I use my kettles, and, and that's about it. The other advice I can give is uh, how time poor are you is my advice on barbecue. So if you're a busy person on the weekends, you haven't got much time to, you know, start a fire, get it running, you've got a lot of kids or family, um, you might want to look at different options. There's pellet grills where it's a set and forget. So literally you fill up the hopper, set the, set the temperature, flick on the switch um, and put in your protein and away you go. If you're like me, a bit of a fire bug, um, you like the offset, making a fire, um, you know, you like to sit down and enjoy a nice beer or six and um, just relax and have the afternoon to yourself and cook and work on that fire management. Um, or you can go a cheaper option with these verticals. Um, you can get from different outlets at the moment from a range from 250 to about six, $700 um, and they're portable. Um, I have one and I take it to the beach um, you can build as high as you want or small as you want, and you can cook the exact same food as all three of these pits that we've just been talking about. So it's I put it down to how time poor are you and how much time do you have. That's what I would make my decision on if I was starting out in barbecue. One of the uh, So one of the core elements is the same across the board here. We're cooking on coal or wood-powered. That, that's what we're actually using, the heat source. So... As long as you're not cooking on gas, any of us here will consider you a barbecue. <laughs> well, gas is fine, but issue is on. No, it's not. Yeah, just a question on uh, what about the eggs, the ceramic eggs, as opposed to the Weber? Um, Kamado Joe's or the big green eggs. Um, if I was to personally pick a pit for home, that would be the first unit I would buy is a ceramic smoker. Um, a, they're the heat retention for one, it's used very minimal fuel. Um, you can do the low and slow cuts. So you can do a very small, mild cut from like a steak all the way up to a big brisket, depending on the size egg or, or ceramic you buy, all the way up to pizzas. Um, and there's so many different um, accessories you can buy for them, um, like big rotisseries and that kind of stuff. You can literally set it up before you go to bed, put a brisket on, shut it right down to a nice low temperature and wake up 10 hours later and it's still going and it'll still hold the heat. And it's just one of those beautiful um, things about the ceramics is the, the heat retention um, it holds. Um, and the flavour it gets out of these, these, some of the coal you get, if you get a really good lump coal, the flavour you get from it, from that char on steaks, it's second to none. Um, honestly, they're probably one of the best on the market personally and they will outlast anything like all these big steel ones or your smaller kind of, um, say, Pro-Qs or Finettos, the verticals, they'll outlast those. Um, so that'll be something I would invest that sort of money into if I was looking for something that's 
be on my back porch or deck and sit there and easily cook one. So, Kamados are amazing. What Chris just said, they are like those ceramics are amazing. Whether it be a, a Kamado or a, a Primo or whatever it is that you want to buy, um, they don't travel well. So, if you're buying one, it sits on your back patio and that, and that's where you live forever. Uh, they're heavy. Um, they are, and you know what? If I didn't move around as much as I have to move around, I would, I would have one. Absolutely. I did actually see a fellow at a barbecue competition once who was using big green eggs to compete with, and he had to actually go and get a furniture removalist's chest harness, put that on, hook himself onto the uh, onto the big green egg, lower his legs right down, wrap his arms around it, pick it up, and then sort of waddle to his truck with this big green egg strapped to his chest. It was a uh, it was something to behold. Really, uh, really funny stuff. If you do have any questions, do just put your hand in the air and I will bring you the mic. Um, one question I'd like to throw out to you all is uh, when people are looking to get into competitive barbecue, they, uh, they jump on YouTube, they jump on Google, they look at these videos, they read these websites and they'll see things like cook at 275 for five hours until internal temperature of 195 and they obsess about the numbers. How important are the numbers? Not at all, really. So, well, yes and no. I think it's it's great to get a good baseline. So when you're learning, you need to know what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. Um, you don't want to do things wrong twice, three times because your wife or whomever you're cooking for won't let you cook it again. So what I mean by that is pick a temp. Uh, you can easily Google the temps that you should be cooking at and use that as a baseline Um I don't know if Ben was trying to plug me there, but um, you can look for you can look for videos on the internet. So I released one last night for pork ribs, as Maddie explained before. Um, Australian pork is trimmed very differently to American pork. So, for example, the three, two, one, like Ben was saying, you do that in Australia, as Matt so well said before, it will fall apart. So you really need to more so cook to feel. And actual done temperature, more so than just look at your thermometer on your barbecue, which is inevitably going to be wrong, and then cook it for this amount of time. So one of the best investments you can make in barbecue is one of these, an instant read thermometer. Um, know your done temperatures. And also this thing, a probe. Learning what done feelness. So what would you call it? Probe, probe doneness. Probe doneness is... Um, Probe like butter. Yep. So that's that's what that's how you want to be learning how to cook. He's referring to the resistance against the probe when you do insert that into the uh, into the protein there. So it pe- people do they 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 obsess over it. They're like, oh, but I only took it. It's only reached 188, but it's probing really well. Should I keep going? Like, what? Why? If it probes like room temperature butter. Take it out, rest it, slice it, eat it. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, If you keep cooking it, it's going to fall apart. But if you're having to force that probe or a, a bamboo skewer into it, if you have to put any pressure into it at all, then it's not cooked. So people will whinge about like a tough or like a an, what they call an overcooked brisket, for example, which will be, oh, it's chewy, so it's overcooked. That's not how it works. If a brisket's chewy, it's undercooked, well undercooked. So... Brisket is a – it's a beast that you learn 
over time and it costs money to figure it out. Um, but again, like I said, you have to learn you have to learn your pit regardless of what pit you use and you have to learn what that cut of meat is like and, and sort of, especially for competition stuff, like you have to learn how it feels, understand and maintain that consistency of that type of meat. Consistency is important. Buy the same type of meat. So if you're, if you're buying a, a certain brand, just keep buying that brand until you're happy with the way that it cooks. Yeah, because it'll generally be, those beasts will be raised the same way. Okay, so they'll either, they'll spend 100 days in a feedlot or they'll be grass-fed or I'll spend two, 200 days and if you're really, really rich, they'll spend 300 days in a feedlot. Yeah, um, but the most important thing is how it feels when you slide that probe in. That is it. Tem- temperature's, a, temperature's a guide. That probe is what really should drive you as to how this is done, this isn't done. Um. I'd like to add the biggest thing I learned starting out was every pit is different like Maddie was touching. So every pit will cook, have a sweet spot. And a lot of my classes I come to, everyone goes, I can't keep my pit at 250. It struggles. It just keeps going up and down. It fluctuates. What do I do? And I said, well, first thing I'll do, say it's a, a Weber, I'll load it up, open the vents, get it hot and see where it sits. It might sit at 275, it might sit at 300, it might sit at 325. I would adjust my time that I'm cooking then rather try and adjust your temperature to your pit. So every pit has a nice sweet spot where it likes to cook and just sit there and just smoke away and you'll get a much better consistent cook by you adapting to your smoker and learning how it runs rather than you trying to adjust the smoker to how you want it to run. So that's my best advice with um, I've taught a lot of people and they've come back to me and said I always had the best cook ever um, on our brisket or um, beef ribs the other day because it just sat there at the temperature it wanted to. Um, a good example of two Pro-Qs, exact same model. One likes it 275, one likes it at 305. I don't know why. they got the same fuel in it, but they are both different units that just like sitting at a certain temperature. One cooks quicker than the other. So be it. So that's my best advice. I've been married for 23 years. Treat your smoker like you treat your wife. Don't don't try to make her do something she doesn't want to do. Yeah? And, you, and your life is heaps easier. <laughs> hey, boys. Matt, you just touched on this before. Um, meat selection, how important is it and how important is the relationship with the butcher that you trust? So, and I raised this earlier as well. Um your selection of meat will come down to your own beliefs, like how you feel about how that how those animals are raised, um, and then like your butcher itself. So, the, I use small businesses always, and I might pay a little bit more, but it's a small business, and he's like you know he's putting his kids through school. I can talk to him on the same basis or her. It doesn't matter. I have a relationship and it's about building that relationship with that small business owner for me and understanding and him understanding what my needs are. So for me, my butcher, he's, he asks me, like, what do you want, Matt? Do you want grass fed? Do you want grain finished? Do you want feedlot? Do you want Wagyu? What? And I will tell him, like, this is what I want. I want to try this. It's, it's a thing that you can't do in a supermarket and it's a thing that I've found um, like 
I don't know. Like, I've seen lately in like supermarkets, pre-cooked brisket in a sealed thing and it tells you to put it in hot water and cook it. Yeah? Please don't do that. Like I beg you, please, for the love of God. It goes uh, against everything we stand for. All right, so so building that relationship with your local butcher, not only will they start to get the meats that you want and start to get the the meats that you that you feel you're comfortable with. Um, you can then, and in a lot of cases, you can go to that butcher and he will trace you back to that the bunch of farms that those that those animals were raised on. And this is how the animals was raised. This is the life that I had. This is – you don't have to go and buy a Marble Score 8 Wagyu brisket in the hope that it's going to be good. You don't. It, it's Brisket is a tough piece of meat. It used to go in sausages and hamburgers, yeah? Nowadays, it, it it's become – well, probably because of us. It's become a little bit more than it was. But – the whole point behind low and slow barbecue is to take that tough, nasty, overworked piece of meat that tastes amazing. It just takes effort to eat and make it effortless to eat. Yeah, and add those flavor bases. But to answer your question, mate, like that, that, that relationship that you build with your butcher is probably the most important thing when it comes to this. From, from my perspective, it is the most important thing. Understanding what he's doing, where they're coming from, how I, what is that purpose behind that? I'm just going to uh, interrupt and just add something to that as well. Please put your hand up if you love it when you're at work and someone walks up and tells you how to do your job. Can you put your, put your hand in there? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Two people. Oh, you, you actually enjoy that. Wow. Okay. Another aspect of the importance of the relationship with your butcher is that Australian butchers are not necessarily – in the past have not been trained – to cut the proteins in the way that we need for this American style low and slow. Um, that they've been trained in, in how the markets have traditionally wanted the cuts done in Australia. So for example, pork belly has always been more popular in Australia than pork ribs until the last sort of couple of years. So if you've got that good relationship with the butcher, you can walk in and you can say, hey, listen, man, I need you to cut it this way, please, this, this, this. You're much more likely to get a positive response than if you just walk in and go, hey, I want this, this, and this. So uh, that's another uh, aspect to consider in the uh, importance of forging a relationship with a butcher. Another tangent that's still kind of related to Ad's question, but in terms of meat selection as such, looking past that, like you only get out what you put in to your barbecue as well. So if you're just getting crappy meat and you throw it on the barbecue, it's not going to come out nice. So leading off what Maddie said as well before, Treat it like your wife. Just look at look at the cut of meat as well. If it's if it's falling off and it's thinner on one side, fatter on one side, you want to try and slow down the cook on that thinner side. Just treat that piece of meat with the respect from the animal that it's come from, and you're going to end up with a much better end result. Did, did you just call your wife a piece of meat? I was going to say. Well, I think we need to. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I think it's time to change analogies here, gentlemen. We're going to uh, get ourselves oh, into no. trouble real quick, smart. We do not mean to offend any of the ladies in the audience by uh, by likening them to uh, pieces of meat, and uh, we're going to change the way we speak about that as of uh, now. But I do have another question over here from this gentleman, please. Yeah, mate. You mentioned earlier, uh, you could with the egg, you could load it up before you went to sleep, and then wake up, and it's all there, ready to go. Um, with mine, 
I don't trust it to do that yet. And I'm wondering, starting from the very beginning with the build of the coals and stuff like that, because it might make it to five or six hours and then run out of steam. So I'm thinking the whole process starts right at the start with uh, your coal management. Yeah, so another good point with um, fire management is the same thing with your protein is a good a good fuel source, a good solid fuel source. So um, I'm not sure what fuel you're using in the Kamado, but um, a good natural lump that holds good heat. It depends on how much you're putting in. And also when you start the Kamados, um, if you're doing a long cook, so when you're starting up um, a ke- like a kettle starter, you have this chimney full of charcoal that you start up. I only light half the chimney and I only half light the chimney. So and I'll do like a minion method where I have like a, the unlit charcoal on the outside, empty in the middle of the basket. I have a few chunks of smoke plugs, so little bits of smoke wood around the outside. And then I'll pour that half lit, half full canister into the middle. So it's going to create a slow burn. So it's going to slowly ignite the rest of the coals and it's going to slowly build up because you want to do that long cook. If I was going to do a steak or something a bit quicker, I would light that chimney full. And I get that really hot. So if you were to throw in a full lit chimney, it'll expand and spread through those coals a lot quicker um, and create more heat and it'll be harder to control. So that's probably my advice to try or even try through the daytime. So early start in the morning, try a a different method um, and just watch it. So you've got, you know, obviously might mow the lawns or wash your car or, you know, do the washing for your missus, do something nice. Um... Something, something different that um, you can try during the day while you're, while you're awake and while you're observant and vigilant of what's going on before you do the night cook. Like, there's nothing like throwing on $200 piece of brisket and wake up in the morning and it's, you know, staying cold and you got to throw it in the bin. So, yeah. There's, oh, sorry, buddy. There's also no reason that you've got to put a piece of meat on that barbecue, mate. It comes back to what Matty said. You just, uh, well, sorry, Chris, probably, just learning your barbecue. So... We've talked about establishing a good charcoal base, but also knowing the correct vent settings, knowing how your, your barbecue is going to react to the ambient temperature, gusts of wind, everything, every minor change in the environment is going to change how you operate your barbecue. And our job as pit masters, we have to anticipate what's going to happen to our barbecues and counter for that before it's even happened. So, but one other cheat. It's a bit like pellets. You can have um, air controllers. So if you're not if you're not confident, there's no reason to ruin a whole heap of good meat. Just you still want to know your barbecue because you still have to know all the vent settings and everything. But you can aid that process by having a controller that might skip some of that learning process. Yeah. Honestly, take a weekend, get a carton of beer. One. Well, three. Mid strength, and <laughs> and just start on a Saturday morning, and just put nothing in it. Just let it go. It doesn't matter. Get get a get a probe set. You can get them on the internet. You can get them at barbecue shops, so, and it'll track on your phone. And you can see where your temperatures are going every time you play with your vents, whatever. Just spend that spend that quality time. Again, like your wife, <laughs> spend the quality time with her, and she'll be amazing. Alrighty, do just uh, throw your hands in the air if you do have any questions for our for our pitmasters here. So, um, 
Oh, right behind me. Excellent. I'm just wondering what's a good couple of cuts of meat you could use for just smoking for two to four people having over for dinner? Depends on your price range, really. <laughs> so you can – you look at your bigger cuts. So when you come to these events and whatnot, you'll find that most of them are cutting, uh, cooking bigger cuts of meat like a brisket, uh, pork butts. They're the cheapest way of feeding a lot of people, but it's also – if you're doing a few people – um, you've got options depending on your budget. So cheaper side of things, you might go um, pork, still cheap, even though it's coming up in price. On the more expensive side of things, you can do lamb cutlets. Um, two to four Josh's or two to four Chris and Matt's? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so there are, there are cuts that you can use. That, so you can buy like half cuts or, or whatever you want to do. So but understand, like I'll cook... My wife hates barbecue, you know, so she doesn't eat it. My son, who's six foot four, loves it and will eat enormous amounts because he's a 14-year-old at six foot four. Right, so I'll cook a whole brisket and then we'll, we'll, I'll, we'll eat what we want to eat and then you can freeze it. You can you can vac seal it. Like buy a vac sealer, put it aside. Does It doesn't matter. You don't have to cook the, eat the whole thing at once. And then that becomes meals for later on, like the whole week and I don't know if you – like, Busy, busy families, busy people. Like you can, you can bring it out, and there's nothing wrong with reheating that later on if you do it the right way. Please don't use a microwave. Um, so, <laughs> what is that right way, Matt? So, so for me, I'll uh, I'll normally use like a, a hot water pan, and I'll bring it up to the, the temperature that I want, um, and just drop that whole vac seal bag in there and let it bring it bring it up slowly and, and properly back to that temperature, and that that works great. And, and even things like, so the jus that I'll get off my briskets, I'll freeze them in ice cube trays. And then I'll reheat those and use that again for gravies or injections or whatever. That's something that Chris taught me years ago. And um, it, it's an amazing way to do things. And like you don't have to, you can still cook that big cut. You just don't have to eat it all. Like you can, you can freeze it. It'll come back. Like it, trust me, it's amazing. So I think the question you're looking for is time. How long have you got? So if you've got like an evening cook for a couple of people or a weekend. So a good example for me at home with my partner, um, we're not big on the heavy cuts anymore, like the big briskets and that kind of stuff. We I've been going towards these days like a nice um, lean lamb cutlet or your backstrap sort of thing. Um, occasionally we'll go some really nice steaks as well. So for me, I've got a young two-year-old. So for managing him – and home duties as well. I'm a bit time poor. So I want something that's going to be quite easy to quick and easy to light, cook, rest and serve. So I have probably got an hour, an hour to two hours max to cook, say a dinner or something. And I can easily do, for a good example, I take a rump cap, which is a very cheap cut of beef. Um, I take it to work um, every Friday for the boys and I'll put it on in the morning and buy Lunchtime, it's ready, rested, reverse sear it, and I'll feed up to six to eight boys at work, like quite build uh, trade tradesmen, um, and that's another great way of feeding people quite cheap for about thirty dollars, roughly. On that question of uh, of time and being time poor, and uh, and how much you how much available free time you've got to invest in that, one of the things I see a lot when I watch these cooking shows is these chefs will pull the meat out of the fridge and drop it on the bench, and they say, now let that raise to to, to room temperature, how important is it that the meat is is 
uh, warmed to room temperature before it goes on the grill? It's it's not. It's a myth. So so well for low and slow. So if we're doing low and slow, it's not. If you're doing hot and fast, yeah, that is important. Um, well, to me, anyway. So low and slow, you don't. You can take it straight from the fridge. You can put it in your smoker, and it's okay. You can. There's nothing wrong with it. It might take a little bit longer because it's got to build up from that low temperature back up. But it's it's going to be less time than you're going to wait for it to get to room temperature sitting on the bench. So. From my perspective, it's not that important uh, for low and slow stuff. If you're doing hot and fast, if, you're, if, you, if you've got a really nice Wagyu rib fillet, please let it go to room temperature. It's, it, it'll blow your mind. <laughs> so if, has anyone cooked a steak straight away, put it hot on the grill or a barbecue, and it's, you think it's cooked on the outside, it's starting to go pretty dark and, and crunchy, but you cut into it and she's raw in the middle. So... The reason being is that the meat, if you bring it to room temperature, the chefs say, means that it's at room temperature. So when it cooks from the outside in, it's not going to, it's trying to, you know, warm up from the inside out. But because it's so hot on the outside, it's actually burning the outside and actually blocking the pores and the heat and meat and stuff. It just doesn't get out. So bring it to room temperature for a hot grill means that you're going to more consistent, even cook throughout. With low and slow, we're reverse searing it. So what we're doing is we're actually slowly breaking down the molecular breakup of the steak and the meat, and it slowly, um, we could say, renders out the fat and breaks down slowly these, um, always the connective tissues. Um, and so we take it to rare, for instance, and I'll bench rest it in foil. Then I'll get the the barbecue or the grill hot with a grill on open grill as close to the coals as I can, or even directly on the coals, and then I'll sear it. You know what the searing does is, A, it, it's, it, it gives that charcoal flavor, and when you get the flare-ups, the fat, it renders off that last bit of fat that's just sitting on the surface on the outside, and you get this beautiful charcoal flavor, a bit of a burnt kind of a, not burnt, but a bit of a... Caramelization. Yeah, caramelization of the sugars that you've put on your rub or whatever, and it just get that beautiful flavor now you'll also notice that if you've had a reverse proper reverse sear steak that people talk about coast to coast so if you cut or slice the steak you'll notice that's the consistent pink color the whole way through which means that um it's cooked completely all the way through um and you get that nice juicy flavor and it's the most tender piece of steak you'll ever eat i can't eat out anymore there's probably one restaurant i've been to in brisbane which we compete to it that i've been to and um, that's about it, really. The, the only other thing I can add to that, so with the, we're talking about the temperatures. Don't go frozen. In terms of cold, frozen is a definite no-no. But in terms of low and slow, so if, if you want to put cold stuff on, another thing to take on board is you're actually imparting more smoke from approximately when you put it on to when it gets to about 165 Fahrenheit. So if that started out colder, it's taking on smoke longer. So on different um, different smokers, you can actually be over-smoked or under-smoked. You can use that to impart the amount of smoke that you want. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's it. Like how cold it is. Sorry. You go. No, just a question on the temperatures as well. So as far as the cooking, often they talk about 225 is like the target number. Is there a range and does it have an impact on a brisket, say, for instance, if you go 225, 250 or? Sorry. Um, 
So we're at a low and slow festival, but you'll find that 90% of the competitors are not cooking low and slow. <laughs> we appreciate our sleep. Yes, it does have a difference, but we use certain methods, tips and tricks and all that to counter the effects of that heat. We're not trying to cook at oven temperatures, but it's not far off. Um, and Yeah, so that that's the main thing that I find with my cooking. If I keep a level range if you're spiking going up and down that meat is going to go seize and try and take in the outside temperature try and suck that in and count it vice versa you're going to toughen up your meat so if you've picked your temperature what chris said learn where your pit wants to sit stay there and sorry i'm not going to take but that, that 225 temperature you're talking about fahrenheit people if you weren't looking at what we're talking about fahrenheit americans sorry guys um with that 225, you're looking for a brisket, for instance, you probably want to finish at about 205 to 210 sort of range. So anything lower than 225, it's actually not going to cook. You'll be there for about nearly two days trying to get it to temperature. So anything over 225, I cook at 275 to 300. That's where my pit likes to cook, and I adjust my time to that. Um, the only thing with a longer cook is you have a longer window of – been right on the money so the hotter you cook the smaller the window of getting that cooked right so you just got to remember it's down to practice so if you're going to cook hot and fast you've got a very small narrow a small window than going low and slow than getting at the right temperature over it's more about stabilizing the temp over the fluctuations Stabilizing does help a lot, like um, Josh was saying. It, it definitely does help your cook, um, like a consistent cook. Um, with with keeping those higher temperatures, um, I find you're going to get a bit more heat. You're going to you're going to break down the sugars and the salts in the rubs, and you're going to get a better caramelization and color. Sometimes, for instance, tonight I'm going to start slow, real low, real slow on my brisket. Sounds kind of that's really, really nice, isn't it? And I'll, I want to get that smoke. I want to get, um, for my presentation, I want to get this nice, thick smoke ring. I want that to look, when you open that box, you see this beautiful smoke ring. So I'm going to go real low and I'm going to get that smoke penetrating for longer. So it just gets that nice color to it. And then later on in the morning, when I've got other proteins that need to get in there, that need a bit hotter, I'll just kick it up a gear and I'll finish it off at a bit hotter. But it's not big, subtle changes, but it's enough for me to get that nice, big, smoke ring and, fl and smoke flavor into that bris brisket. But that's just a personal preference that works for me um, and something I like to I like to present, so to speak. So I cook I cook slower. I cook low and slow. Um, and it is, and I'll set it like that 250. And, and either way, up, up and down a little bit, because my pit likes 250. Uh, up and down a little bit, it doesn't really matter. It's Fahrenheit. It's like five degrees Fahrenheit is zero Celsius. Yeah, so it doesn't really matter. You can have that little bit. What you don't want is that 40, 45, 50-degree swings. You want to make sure that it's sitting nice and comfortable. Find, like Chris said, find where your pit's comfortable. That's where you cook it at. And then understand, like we were talking before, understand like that feel of that meat. And then you'll get your times and then you'll get everything will sort of start to flow together. Everything comes together with a little bit of practice and a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of treating your, uh, treating, treating your pit right. Keep it simple. Honestly, simple, stupid is the best way to start barbecue. Don't go ravishing out, oh, this injection and blah, blah, blah. You'll confuse yourself. Start simple, get a simple cut, simple rub, follow a basic cook, stick to it and build off it. So 
when I first started years ago, there was no classes. There was nothing around. I had to import my Pro-Q from England. So it cost me a packet. But that's how I started. And I learned from American YouTube videos, making a lot of mistakes, spending a lot of money on briskets every weekend until I could cook one. I burnt a lot of ribs. I spent a lot of money refining my cook myself to improve how I cook. Um, and now I can eat, anyone these days can jump online, find a masterclass, and that will cut in half that learning curve. And you'll straight away understand the principles that took me months to learn. So you're very fortunate these days. I learned from Chris. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, folks. You don't share anymore. We got enough time for about one more question. If it's if anyone wants to put their uh, hand in the end, I'll run the mic out to you. We do have to let these fellas get back to their pits and start uh, prepping their meats for tonight's competition. Excellent. Can um can using too much wood like dry it out, dry the meat out? No. <laughs> um, if you cook it too hot, yeah, it can. Um, so again, it's that temperature control and understanding your pit. But the, the smoke from some wood, that won't dry it out at all. Overcooking it will dry it out. Are you talking about smoke wood or fuel? So over smoking, so if anyone knows the principles of smoking, every protein stops accepting smoke after 145 degrees Fahrenheit. No matter what protein it is, the, um, the protein itself will stop accepting smoke. So effectively after that point in temperature, you can put the oven inside the house and finish cooking it. It's still going to taste the same. So there's no need to actually keep loading on really expensive you know, pellets or plugs and that of smoke when the meat's not going to accept it. If you're going to try and force that smoke, there's also a science behind it with uh, the things people call uh, thin blue smoke, um, which means that when you're at, you've got the right temperature and the right amount of dryness in your fruit wood, you're going to produce the right chemicals released to be a good clean smoke. If it's a dirty, white, thick, pluming smoke, it's going to taste like that. If it's nice and clean and barely visible, it's you're on the right track. If you're sniffing the smoke and you go, mmm, that smells good, then that's the right kind of smoke. If you're sniffing it and you go, <coughs> then that's the wrong that's the wrong kind of smoke. That's, that smells like a cheap cigarette in a nightclub. Not, You've been not a nimbin too much, Danny. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> to add another thing, like I said before, though, just concentrate on um, if you're drying your meat out, look where it is drying out. There are methods of slowing down the cook in those areas by using a, a spritz or something. So those thinner areas are going to cook a lot quicker than the thicker areas. So more so than drying out the whole area. <laughs> want, do we want to get into like surface evaporation? And <laughs> No. No, I don't think so. All righty, ladies and gentlemen, that's uh, about the point in time we need to wrap that up. Can we have a big round of applause, please, for Josh from Zed's Q? Chris from the Smoking Hot Bros and Matt from Smoking Sappers Barbecue. Thank you very much. Uh, just to give you an idea of what else is happening on the rest of the afternoon, we do have um, the live music over on the stage. Uh, there's the wings turn in uh, has just happened at two. The steak turn in is at three o'clock and at four thirty over on the music stage. We're going to be announcing the winners of the Steak Cookoff Association competition, which has been happening all throughout today. So there's been four hand-ins for that. There's been anything on a stick. 
there's been a burger and, as I said, wings and steak. So 4.30 p.m. main stage, we're going to be handing out some trophies and some prizes. So I will see you there. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We've just passed midday, and I'd like to introduce you to a very special guest we have here. So do come on down, do sit down. We're going to be having a chat with uh, the possibly the most well-known Australian outdoorsman. We've got Macca from What's Up Down Under. You've seen him on Saturday and Sunday mornings on the on the TV. You've seen him on uh, what uh, Seven Mate. Um, uh, mostly ten, mate. The seven camera getting around, so this won't make the news. Oh, it, oh, is that why I'm getting confused? <laughs> no, oh, <it's> all good. <laughs> Sorry about that. I've, I, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble with Macca's publicist now. I do apologise for that. <laughs> All right. So, Macca, what has brought you to the uh, Brisbane Barbecue Festival? Mate, look, I, I just love the the whole thing about outdoor cooking. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's barbecue or, or out in the bush next to a campfire. There's just something about the smell of smoke and, and meat cooking that always brings me around. Mate, I, I know you love it because you must spend more time out, out in the bush doing your uh, TV shows than you actually get to do at home. So... Give me a bit of a rundown on on what you like to cook and how you like to cook it when you are out in the bush. Mate, it, it kind of varies because different trips you do allow you to take different amounts of gear with you. So if you're doing like a, a, a quite a, a remote trip, something like across the Simpson Desert, for instance, where carrying, wow. so carrying fuel and water becomes a whole lot more important than carrying a big steel barbecue with you. Obviously, you're, you're cooking in different gear. So a trip like that. Uh, we'd rely on more alfoil and those sorts of things and, and doing what we call hobo packets, you know, where we throw a pork chop and a couple of sliced apples in and a bit of honey and wrap him up in the alfoil, throw it in the coals is, is a great dinner. But uh, obviously when you can travel with a bit more gear, you can get a bit more high tech. Well, I was going to ask, if you're out in the Simpson Desert, do you actually need to light a fire or do you just throw the steak straight on the hood of the truck? Mate, there'd be times I reckon you could throw them on the hood of the truck. I reckon you, so. You might get a bit of dirt more than pepper in the steak, that's all. I, it's it's all just part of that native Australian flavouring, you know. The uh, get that get the real essence of Australia into your food. That's what I say when you're cooking on the beach, mate. The crunch is all about attitude. It may be pepper and it may be sand. Who knows? Just uh, just cut off a big slab and have a good bite. Yeah, exactly right. Like everything else in life, mate. Just go hard with it and you'll enjoy it in the end. Yeah. So there's lots of uh, different sort of outdoor cooking apparatus. Um, do you have a particular favourite kind of outdoor oven or barbecue or something that you like to take with you? Mate, I, I kind of always have a camp oven with me because the technology in those has, has moved a long way too. Your traditional camp ovens were made out of cast iron. They were quite heavy and, and quite fragile too. If you dropped them, they'd break. But these days there's a whole range of them done in, in what they call spun steel. So they're a lot lighter um, and, and easier to carry. But you've got to be a little bit more careful when you cook because they're more reactive, of course, to the temperature. The same as smokers. I mean, I guess the, the, um, the technologies are all very similar. Like if you've got a, a thin-skinned smoker and it'll react to the, the temperature changes of the, the ambient temperature outside more so than a big heavy smoker. Absolutely, yeah. The, the thinner the metal, the, uh, the more temperamental, basically. So, uh, yeah, when, when you are looking at smokers, you would really do want to look for like 6 mil steel or, or even thicker. And I think a big part of it is the cost as well. People look at it and say, look, that big heavy one's going to cost me so much more than this light one. I can only afford the light one. But like I say to people, always buy the best that your budget will allow you to buy and you will have the best to use. Absolutely, mate. Yeah. So what is your favourite protein to cook when you are out on the road? You did mention pork chops before. Is that your favourite? Mate, it's actually not. My favourite is beef, but I, but I will devour just about anything that used to walk around a paddock. I, I always <laughs> say, if it had parents, it's my dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do I do love beef. You know, I love a beef roast in the camp ovens, one of my favourites. And if I was looking for a uh, something to throw on the grill, I'd go for a steak as my pre- preference. But I would, I would also eat the rest of them quite happily. 
Yeah, fantastic. I was out camping up at uh, Land Cruiser Mountain Park there a few years ago, and uh, I bought these beautiful steaks at Costco on the way through. And uh, by the way, never stop at Costco on your way out camping because you will not fit anything else in your vehicle because you've got to buy, like, bulk and everything. So True story. We had toilet paper stacked up to the roof. Like, it was ridiculous. Anyway. Well, you take that much protein, you're going to need that much toilet paper. Yeah, because you, you can't just buy two steaks. You've got to buy, like, a pack of ten. So, True story. Which, you know, for me, that's not so bad. I could do ten steaks in two days. No worries. But I get all the way out there, and I'm, I, I built this campfire. My family's there. We're, we're, we're sitting around. We're going, all right, so how are we going to cook these steaks? Ah, uh, uh, I hadn't thought about bringing anything to actually cook oh, it on. Oh, no. So what I did, I took the lid off my camp oven, turned it upside down and dropped that straight onto the coals. And that gave me, admittedly, it was a little bit concave, but it basically gave me a flat surface. That got nice and hot and then just seared those steaks off on the underside of the camp oven lid. Mate, they were some of the best steaks I've ever had. We'd just been to a steakhouse the week before. Each paid 45 bucks for a plate of steak. And that steak that I cooked out in the bush on that camp oven lid with just some basic salt and pepper, that was better than what we just paid 45 bucks a plate for in the steakhouse. It was ridiculous. And I think a big part of that, and I talk about it quite often, it's not all about what you ate. It's the environment you ate it in. It's the people you ate it with and the experience that you had. The ambiance. Absolutely. And is there anything better than going through that little problem-solving scenario with the family going, we've got these great steaks, how are we going to cook them? So you've created an experience straight away and everyone just looks forward to seeing what the end result is and then sits around and enjoy it and you've gone home with a memory and a story. Exactly, yeah. And you get to have that experience by the open fire, out in the Aussie bush, the sun's going down. you got not only the smell of the fire but the smell of those steaks cooking. As you said, you're with your family, you're bonding, you're making memories, man. Life doesn't get much better than that. No, it doesn't, mate. And I'll tell you, there has been a time or two when I've had to use the blade of a shovel to cook a feed. And um, it's not my preferred cooking surface, but we've all made the mistake of forgetting the cooking gear at the last minute. Funnily enough, I've never forgotten the beer when I went. Of course not. What else are you going to marinate the meat with? Oh, that's what it's all about, isn't it? We're taking it for the marinade. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So you just mentioned cooking on a shovel. You would not believe this. There is actually a barbecue competition over in the United States where you cook on a shovel. <laughs> what, did they forget their barbecues? No, 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 no. It's, uh, it's, um, it's like a, I forget the exact name of it. It's like a pioneering or, or wagoneer f- uh, food festival where you can only cook what they cooked with what they used to cook with in the old wagon days when they were uh, you know, pushing west and all that sort of stuff. So uh, you, And you can only wear it. So it's, it's almost like a renaissance fair. They all dress in like uh, you know, 1800s sort of clothing and you see people pull in these wooden wagons and they all dig trenches and lay the coals and they get all their camp ovens. And the interesting part is the ingredients because they can only use ingredients that would have been available at that time. Wow. So what sort of things are we talking about there? So you're talking about uh, like flatbread, for example, because they, they couldn't maintain uh, like live yeast for, for baking. You're talking about, um, I've seen uh, there was squirrel was, was one of the proteins. Oh, we all love a good feed of squirrel. Tastes like chicken. Everything tastes like chicken, apparently. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, yeah. And man, that was just absolutely fascinating. Just to, And the, the commitment of these people to that, it was just phenomenal. It was so good. Mate, and I think that's a big part of cooking outside. There's a perception out there in people that, who don't enjoy cooking outside or don't participate that you really can't come up with the same qualities. And I think that's what I take on as my personal challenge when I cook outside is to create something. I always say, I've got, I've got this line that I say that when you take the first bite of whatever it is that you've served up, 
that you should make the same sort of sounds that you make when you have special mummy and daddy time. You know, it's like that. I was wondering where that was going. <laughs> the, the involuntary sound, you know, that, oh, how good is this? You know, and, um, and it's amazing what you can create with little in the way of cooking equipment that is still good. And that should be your challenge every time you cook, particularly outside. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> and also being able to cook it with a minimum amount of, of, of gear because when you are out travelling, you don't want to be taking literally the kitchen sink with you. So being able to cook a ver- like a really good meal, as I said, even as simply as just turning over the camp oven lid, mate, that's what it's all about. I, and it comes down to your ingredients as well. You can't take everything that you had in your pantry at home. The pantry is a big thing. You're only taking a little box of stuff, so you've got to be pretty specific with what you put in it that's going to add the flavours to what you want so it creates that, that meal that you really want to put out in front of people and have them enjoy. Well, that is one of the basic tenements of barbecue as well, which is what we're here for this weekend. If you put anything other than salt and pepper on a, on a piece of beef in Texas, you're in big trouble. Is that right? Absolutely, well, yeah. Well, those big Texans will hunt you down for putting anything else on. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they reckon that the uh, the beef or the pork or whatever has got all the flavour that you need, they reckon? Yeah, well, that is one of the principal tenets, is that you don't want to, uh, you, you don't want to over, uh, overpower the flavour of the meat. Well, and I guess a lot of people still do think that way, but there's... If it was the act, the case for everyone, we wouldn't have any uh, fridge in the pantry either. Uh, sorry, any sauce in the pantry. That was actually a, a, a question I always ask people. Should you keep your sauce in your pantry or your fridge? And that's why I got confused. And what do you reckon, Ben? Where should it be? Uh, my sauce goes in the fridge. Yeah, there you go. And it's about 60% because I, I ask everyone. And it's about 60% of the population keeping in the fridge because the, lo- the warning label says you should. I just reckon, mate, I live on the Gold Coast. It's hot. It's humid. There's... Stuff growing everywhere, like at the at the best of times. I don't want that stuff growing in my sauce, so the sauce goes in the fridge. And, and and that's a fair call. But I live in the bush most of the time, and I'll have a sixty or an eighty liter fridge, and I want it cold beer. So the fridge, the uh, sauce, unfortunately, plays second fiddle and goes in the pantry box. Well, you could use the old uh, the old bushman's trick, where you just like put the sauce in a sock and then dip the sock in the river and tie that from the tree. So the evaporative cooling would take care of that. Yeah, you could do it, or the uh, perhaps the fish will just get a taste for tomato sauce and not want to bite your bait anymore. They might do, they might do. Now, I did want to talk to you about your new project. So you're not only travelling around Australia shooting these amazing like outdoor living TV shows. Tell us about what the, uh, the, the latest thing is you've been working on. Oh, well, mate, it's also to do with cooking. So I've come up with a range of rubs and, and, and the, the inspiration behind it was the travelling part because, again, you, you, can't, you can't carry everything out of your pantry. So um, I used to buy rubs just for doing my smoking at home and, and carry them with me, but... A lot of those flavours in the, the rubs that we're getting a hold of today in Australia are very American, low and slow type styles. I just wanted to bring something out that was a bit more Australian. Throw it on the roast when you throw it in the camp oven or use it at home. So that sort of style of, uh, of flavours that we've come up with. Fantastic. And I did actually see them on the uh, on your show on uh, on Sunday. My son and I watch it like every, every Sunday together. You've got uh, like one for each protein as well. So there's quite the range. Yeah, that's right, mate. There's a beef one there that's called Great barrier beef not reef beef there's uh captain james chook for the chicken and there's uh that'll do pig for your pork and uh great southern lamb which is uh of course for your lamb so but but not just for, like i actually just use it i'll throw it in a spaghetti bolognese just mate, it's a mix of spices so you can use it for whatever you want to use it for it's not just putting it on the meat and and grilling yeah, very exciting stuff, man. And uh, given the names that you've given them, it doesn't get much more Australiana than that, does it? Well, we kind of had to stick with that theme, didn't we? So they, they go on sale about mid-August. We're looking for um, for distributors now or retailers now. So uh, if you keep your eye on my Facebook page, you'll see some more information on that. 
Fantastic. So what's coming up for you uh, in the future then, aside from that? What other things have you got? Uh, what other irons do you have in the fire? Oh, mate, look, who knows? This this is something that was never really meant to happen. It, it sort of fell into place. I was, I was having a chat to uh, Trev, who I used to buy um, my rubs off for barbecuing at home, and I was telling him how I wouldn't mind changing a couple of flavours up. And he said, oh, I'll knock something up a bit more specific for you. So this is something that happened without a great deal of planning. So who knows what comes next? But um, I'm already uh, dabbling in a few other things that people have contacted me about. So, so let's just... Watch this space because there could be a few more other Macca products coming up that you can use around the backyard, around the barbecue, or in your kitchen at home, or in the caravan where you're travelling. Mate, I'm surprised you're not, uh, that you're not running for politics with the way you just kind of answered around that question there. That yeah. was very skillfully done. Oh, I thought so too. I sort of, you know, a heap of words there, but they didn't say anything. You're right. I could be a politician. They do a bit of that, don't they? Yeah. Macca for PM, people. Macca for PM. Well, I don't know about that. You know, there might be a few skeletons laying around in my closet that we don't need coming out when I become the Prime Minister. No, I can't believe that for a second. You're a good man, Ben. All righty, mate. Let's wrap this up. Let's go get a couple of slices of brisket and some cold beers. How about you? Top idea, mate. Good catching up with you always. And uh, you keep up the good work. Cheers, mate. You too. Hey folks, Ben from Smoking Hot Confessions here. It's day one at the Brisbane Barbecue Festival. Can you believe that this is winter? Bretto, Flamin' Mongrels, how are the mongrels feeling? Mate, uh, pretty good. Yeah, we were, uh, gave it a bit of a nudge last night, but we're okay today. We're ready for SCA. Pulled up nicely then? Yeah, a couple of Panadols and a can of Mother and we're good. <laughs> good stuff. Now, SCA, State Cook-Off Association. Tell me about that. Uh, so it's actually, we've done it once or twice, but we're pretty new into this SCA uh, game, um, but we're going to give it a try today. So basically there's four categories today, uh, anything on a stick, uh, wings, burgers, and of course steak, which is the, the, the big one, uh, and we're going to give all four a go. Nice work, man, nice work. So when it comes to the SCA, what, what appeals to you about that, that competition? Uh, it does give us something to do on the Saturday when our main hand-ins for the other competition is tomorrow, so it gives us something to do today. Uh, it, there's a bit of creativity involved, and that's probably where we're lacking a little bit. We're good at entering in, you know, competition boxes for, for ABA, um, and we just wanted to have a try at something a little bit creative this time. Rightio, sounds good. So tell me about anything on a stick. What are you guys going to do for that? No, I can't tell you. Oh, okay. You know, we're not live. You're right, you're right. So we're going to do a key lime pie. Ooh, wow. And then put that on a stick. Anything on a stick. Wow, nice. Cool. And um, what I really want to know is what grill are you using for the uh, SCA? Uh, so we're going to use the Weber, Weber kettle. So we'll use an upside down kettle cone in the bottom uh, and get some super hot temperature underneath our grill grates, of course, which are well known for uh, getting some amazing uh, grill lines on your steak. Uh, of course, there is an appearance uh, section that we need to try and cover, so we'll try and get some nice grill grate lines, um, get our temperatures up nice and hot. Uh, we're going to use a reverse sear method as well, so we'll reverse sear the steak before we sear it off at the end. So with the kettle cone in the middle then, the steak goes out towards towards the edge of the Weber? Uh, no, no, we'll put it directly over the heat. We're going to go directly over the heat, only for the grilling section. So oh, sure, yeah. we'll reverse sear it in another in another, in another another unit. So. Oh really? So you're actually going to use two different things? Yeah, we'll probably use the offset. We'll probably use the offset to do the reversing section because it's easy to control the temperature. I don't want to have to set up something too major in the kettle to just for 40 minutes of smoking, you know. So. Oh, interesting. Cool. All right. Um, and what type of fuel are you using for the SCA? 
Uh, so we'll use uh, we'll we'll probably smoke it in the in the reverse section in the in the cooking section. Um, we'll iron bark it, and add some cherry wood. Uh, when it comes down to the sear section, it's 100% heat beads. We'll use probably lump charcoal straight in the. Oh, we might use beads. Haven't tried. Haven't. As I say, we're still pretty new at this. So uh, whether we use it, probably heat beads actually. They'll they'll fit better in the kettle cone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's a very uniform shape, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So to get a whole bunch of those big lumps inside the kettle cone might not quite work the way we want it. You know? Could get a bit dicey. Yeah. Could get a bit tricky. So, man, when it does come to steak, there's a very particular way that the SCA wants you to cook it in terms of doneness. Is that the way you like to do your steaks at home? Uh, so if I was to do a steak at home, I'd probably cook it a little bit under what SCA requires. So they're looking for medium. Um, which I think is at about 135, somewhere around there in Fahrenheit scale. Um, but uh, yeah, at home I'd probably take it to 125, probably not much higher than that, so. Beautiful. Well, man, thanks for those tips and best of luck with the SCA and best of luck with the ABA tomorrow. Yeah, thanks, Ben. I appreciate you just having a chat. Good on you. Ta. Hey folks, it's Ben from Smoking Hot Confessions here on day two at the Brisbane Barbecue Festival. I cannot believe that this is winter. Rod from the Charcoal Project, mate. How are you yeah, feeling? Well, yeah, good, Ben. Really good, really good. Pretty happy. So, been a great, great event. It's been a good one, hasn't yeah, it? it? Has, it has it's been um, my first Brisbane event. So, um, came along with Rusty to give these guys a hand, and yeah, we've done all right so far. So, pretty happy. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that in a minute. But yep. first of all, tell me, how did you get to be part of the Charcoal Project? Ah, uh, just a ringing sort of thing. But man offered me the opportunity and I thought and jumped at it so yeah learn a few new things and yeah just yeah barbecue you know like it's pretty good so yeah happy it's one of uh I think two jambos in the country it so is, if is. you get a chance to get on a team and have a play with one of them you can't say no well, to that's that right, eh? not many people get to do it so yeah, it's a great machine awesome to use just yeah foolproof so it's good yeah, good stuff. So today is uh, day two of the festival, yep. so it's it's ABA day. But yesterday was the SCA day, mate. Tell me how you went there. Yeah, pretty good. I actually got third in burger. So yeah, I was blown away. It's the first call out or call up I've had. Um, got eighth in steak. So yeah, everyone was pretty happy with the way we went. So it's good. Mate, so good. Tell yeah. me about that burger. What was on the burger? Uh, I was just buttermilk chicken pork belly burger with a bit of caramelised onions and chipotle sauce and a bit of cheese. And that's all it was, really. So, oh, Wow. And it worked. So, yeah, the judges spoke. So, yeah, pretty happy. Got to be, mate. you got to be. Yep. So tell me about what you uh, used as your grill of choice for the SCA. I was using the Mega Joe. It's just a WSM base with a kettle lid on it. And that's all it was, really. Just a bit of hot and fast and it worked. And got the GA go anywhere we're running on the front of the Jambo and the old brown so it was all Weber cooks well one Weber's hot and fast so yeah good interesting so mm. why do you choose to go with the uh the the, the go anywhere and the mega joe oh because we've got them so they work they're easy to use and yeah it's yeah constant constant heat with them too so yeah it's really good and speaking of heat, what uh, what fuel do you like to use for your SCA competitions? Heat beads. Um, oh, fancy yeah, so, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just happened to be That's there in right. the background. <laughs> yeah, they're a great supporter of us. So, yeah, we support them and use their products. So, it's great. So, which is your favourite one then? Is it the, the blue coconut shell bag? Is it the hard lump? Yeah, I'm partial to the lump. Because, um, yeah, I normally run an offset as, at, well, at home as well. And I normally run the lump in my um, smoky mount. So, yeah, it's good. It's good, good gear. Great stuff, mate. Yeah. So tell me, with the ABA coming up today then, 
what are the uh, hand-ins you got to hand in today? Oh, uh, well, Rusty's doing brisket, lamb and chicken, and I'm just doing uh, pork ribs today. So, yeah, that's my something I'm trying to work on and get down pat. So, Rusty can do everything else. He's got that under control. So, yeah. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah. And so what, what kind of ribs do you like to do? St. Louis, yeah, baby back? Yeah, I prefer St. Louis. Um, I have troubles getting them, so most of the time I am using baby backs. Um, but yeah, either cut. I'm happy with either cut, so yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Well, look, mate, thanks very much for your time. I realise you've got to get ready for your, for your hand in. Yep. And uh, the uh, OH&S lady is about to come give me a serve to get my truck out of this uh, okay. out of this venue, so uh, i got to go too. Thank you very much no for worries. your time. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Hey folks, it's Ben from Smoking Hot Confessions here at day two of the Brisbane Barbecue Festival. I cannot believe this is the middle of winter. It is absolutely ripping here this weekend. And with me, I've got James from Pits and Giggles here. We're going to talk SCA in a minute, but first of all, mate, how's this for a Brisbane winter? Yeah, it's, uh, it's great. It's um, nice, a bit cool in the morning, but uh, really good during the day. Yeah, the temperature dropped off about 4pm yesterday, didn't it? Just the chill came up real quick. Yeah, yeah, it cooled down quite a bit as soon as the sun went down. I think it got down to about six overnight, which for Queensland means cold. Uh, yeah. For everyone else, maybe not. Yeah, yeah. When I had to go pull my hoodie on, I was like, this isn't fair, this is Queensland. I'm not supposed to have long sleeves on. Yeah, so all of us mostly just walking around wearing shorts even at night. Yeah, yeah, got to love it, mate, got to love it. So listen, how many years have you been coming to the Brisbane Barbecue Festival now? Uh, this is our third year we've been competing here. Uh, Brisbane two years ago was our first competition. So they were sort of um, amateurs in and figuring out what to do. Yeah, right. And so for the first time this year, they've included an SCA competition. Now, that was yesterday. You guys really nailed it. Tell us about how you did. Yeah, we went pretty well. So SCA is a lot more flexible than ABA is. So uh, we've sort of done a few things a bit out of the ordinary. Uh, so I was in charge of the, the burgers. And what I've made is a fish and crab burger inside some uh, Chinese bao buns. Oh, wow. So uh, we actually used uh, a Weber Summit for those with the um, wok and the steamer in it. Uh, so it's a $2,500 steamer. Um, <laughs> but uh, but they, they turned up really nicely and um, the, I think the judges agreed. So that was really good. Awesome, man. Awesome. And uh, you, you did it well in a couple of other categories as well, didn't you? Uh, yeah. So we also did uh, anything on a stick. Uh, we did some uh, jalapeno poppers on a stick, which um, went reasonably well. We came fifth there. And we also came third in wings, which um, were a fairly traditional kind of buffalo spicy wing, but um, they went down really well as well. Mate, I do love a good buffalo wing. Oh, doesn't everyone? Yeah. So when it comes to SCA, what's your favourite grill to use for that? It depends a lot on what we're cooking. So some things work uh, really well on a kettle for smaller things. Uh, <coughs> obviously, the, the bow buns we did a steamer. So there's a few different barbecues, depending exactly what it is we're cooking. But Weber all the way? Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, and when it comes to fuel, what kind of fuels do you like to use? Uh, so we're using lump charcoal from um, Spinifex, which is fairly local, which is from northern New South Wales. Um, so it gets quite hot um, and it's uh, really good to cook with. Right, very good. Hardwood lump. Love it. Great stuff. So we've got the ABA coming up today. How are you feeling about your hand-ins for that? Uh, feeling fairly confident. Um, so the first one up is chicken. Uh, doing very similar to the wings, but thighs. Um, then it's a roll on into lamb, uh, brisket, uh, which oddly isn't last like usual, and then pork ribs. So the, the lamb, we've actually done a few different styles. So we've got some shanks, also some lamb ribs, and also uh, a rack of cutlets. So we're going to cook all of those up and then judge which ones are the best to go in the box. Ooh, so what time is that happening? 
the first one is in about half an hour at uh, 11 a.m. is the chicken and then lamb at 12, brisket at 1 and pork ribs at 2. So I'll be back around 5 to 12. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you want some leftovers. Yeah, exactly, mate. Yeah, I'm, I'm good like that. Yes. So anyway, man, best of luck for the rest of the competition. Thank you for your time. And um, I'll see you up on the podium, yeah. I, I hope. Yeah, with any luck. Thanks, Ben. Cheers. Hi, this is Ronnie Killen from Killen's Barbecue, and this is Smoking Hot Confessions. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. How are you doing this afternoon at the Brisbane Barbecue Festival? Not a bad way to spend a Sunday, am I right? So my name is Ben. I'm from Smoking Hot Confessions. If you're looking for a website that's got... Uh, recipes, tips, how-tos, um, Australia's premier uh, barbecue podcast, do check that out, smokinghotconfessions.com and Smoking Hot Confessions across all the different social media platforms. And uh, I'm not going to take offence to the gentleman over there with the sunglasses and long hair for buying a t-shirt from me yesterday and then not wearing it today. I'm not going to take that personally. So some of you here, uh, I, I recognise your faces from earlier today. I did a beef rib demonstration. And uh, I, I cooked them through the night last night, sliced them up, served them up uh, this morning. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to break down basically all the different bits and pieces and tools and gadgets and things that I use to do that. And I'm going to explain what each one does and why it helps me, how it helps me to, uh, to make better barbecue. Naturally, if you're going to get into barbecue, you're going to need a barbecue. Really delicious barbecue should be done with wood-fired products. So that might be charcoal, that might be lump charcoal, it might be briquettes, it might even be pellets. And so it's that delicious flavor of wood that makes the smoked food so good. It's very primal, it's, uh, it's very traditional for us, and every time we, we, uh, we smell it, we get hungry. That's why any time you light the barbecue at home, the next thing you know, your neighbor's sticking their head over the fence. So you're going to need to start with a barbecue, and I really strongly recommend a charcoal barbecue. Now, this type, uh, this type of barbecue that I've got here is called a PK Grill. That's the brand, and the model is the PK360. So I love this for many, many reasons. So first of all, I live on the Gold Coast. I live in an old Queenslander house, wood-framed, wood-paneled, wood-deck. This particular charcoal grill, the way that it's built, there's no way on the bottom for any little charcoal embers or anything to fall out the bottom. So I'm not worried about it being on my wooden deck. Um, my wife likes it because it's, as far as barbecues go, it's a reasonably attractive unit. So she actually lets me put it out on the front deck. So Sunday afternoons, if I'm not working, I actually get to sit with a beer and flip some burgers and look out over Surface Paradise. It's beautiful. All my other barbecues, I've got 17, literally 17 other barbecues. They're all hidden down the backyard and under the house. So this is the only one that's allowed to come out and play on a regular basis. Um, the way that the vents are set up on this one is particularly useful especially if you're going to move from grilling into some low and slow type stuff. So if you're going to be using it for grilling, you're going to just open both those bottom vents up, open up both the top vents, if you're even going to have the lid closed. You'd fill up the, the bottom of it with charcoal, light it up, wait until the charcoal is ashed over, depending on the, on the type of fuel, can take anywhere from sort of 10, 15 minutes to 45 minutes um, depending on how you on how you do that and the more you do it of course you're going to find little tricks and things that are going to work with your barbecue and your fuel to get that happening faster this particular one is great for moving into low and slow particularly if you've if you're not trying to feed 15 people so if you've got a family of four family of five this unit is great 
I put the charcoal onto about the far quarter of the of the grill space there, which leaves me three quarters to fill with meat for some low and slow. So I can get a reasonable size brisket on there. Last night I had uh, three three bone beef rib packs on there, and uh, a few weeks ago I had four on there. Um, and I've done all sorts of different things on there as well. And it's just so um, so ad- adaptable and flexible. And it's simply a matter of keeping that vent open because you want that air coming directly in under that charcoal, closing that vent, opening this top vent, and closing that bottom vent. And what you're doing is you're manipulating the airflow, exactly. You're forcing the air only in under the charcoal, only feeding that oxygen to that charcoal. The hot air and the smoke has nowhere to go except across the meat and back out through the exhaust up there. So it's a perfect setup for that. So you've got to kick things off with a decent grill, with a decent barbecue. Can't go wrong with a PK grill. The next thing, you can see how much I love these. I'm not actually going to pass these around because you're going to get filthy. These are um, special heat-treated gloves, and you can literally, with these on, you can actually grab lit bits of charcoal with your hand and move it around inside the grill. Okay. Um, Naturally, you don't really want to do that too often but you're not going to burn yourself. And you can see after five years of use, my dog had a go at that thumb because I forgot to put the gloves away one day. But aside from that, there's no wear and tear after five years of handling hot coals. Very useful. These are called Beast Armor. They're from a group online called Grill Beast. Um, Great gear. they got great stuff. So that's important for handling charcoal, uh, lit or unlit, because you don't want to have black hands and then be trying to... uh, play with your food as well and have to run and wash your hands and come back again. It just, it speeds up the whole process. So handle lit or unlit charcoal with a decent set of heat proof gloves. Next, this may sound pretty rudimentary. Two different sets of tongs. I hate going to people's houses when they're cooking a barbecue and they get the tongs and they move the charcoal around and then they grab the steak and put that on. I'm like, how about you let me cook my steak? You, that one's yours. You let me cook mine. Make sure you've got t- two sets of tongs. Uh, you can just use cooking tongs for moving the charcoal around, but a decent heavy-duty set is going to be a lot more um, uh, a lot more better. That's terrible. It's going to be a lot better for, uh, for really gripping the, the, the larger chunks of charcoal and moving them around. And then, of course, you, you keep your clean set for working with your food. Um, it is important to even have a third set one for cooked food, one for raw food, if you are doing multiple things on the on the grill at one time because you don't want to mix them up. So a couple of sets of tongs are really important. I think that's all pretty rudimentary so far. We're all good with that. In, any questions about the grill before I move on? Yeah, good question. So he's asking me how much charcoal would I use for, for low and slow. So basically what I want is just enough charcoal to sit directly above that above that grill and you want to sort of keep it stacked up so you can come and have a bit of a look at when we're done you can come and climb all over this uh this grill this is burnt out from last night so and i've dragged it back and forth across the paddock for these demonstrations so the charcoal is a little bit disturbed there but you'll get the basic idea it's the charcoal is all pushed up to one end and stacked up almost to right underneath the cooking grill How's it going cleaning? Very good question. These particular um, PK grills are very easy to clean. A lot of people think that, uh, oh, charcoal's dirty. It is. It can be a little bit dirty, but it's all natural and it's not going to explode. Um, 
you hear these horror stories about people's, you know, getting a grease fire in their gas barbecue and then the bottle explodes and it all ends poorly. So th that is a trade-off. This particular model is incredibly easy because it's a modular design. So this is a mechless or hingeless grill. So it's a, it's a tongue and groove type setup. So that just pulls off, pop that down on the ground. These side handles here, they have these three round knobs under there. They just slide off, put them away. There's that one knob there. And then if you want to, you can just pick it up and drop it out. Or there is actually a, a bung down in the bottom of it at the back. So, and there's hooks on the back. You can hang a bucket underneath and sort of scoop all the, scoop all the muck out into a bucket. So this particular grill is very easy to take care of. Very easy. And because it's all, um, it's all uh, hand molded aluminium, uh, it's never going to rust. Um, so it's, you don't need to, like I, I took the uh, pressure cleaner to this just a few weeks ago. So you don't need to worry about that at all. Uh, it's a great bit of gear. Any other questions about the grill? No? Happy? Yeah, that's the part where you go, yeah! All right, let's move on. Woo! Okay. So, taste time. Meat loves salt. Salt loves meat. I stole that from Adrian Richardson. But great seasoning is fantastic. So on the beef ribs this morning, I used these two. So I'm going to bring these out to you again. And if you'd like a taste, just put your hand up and I'll, uh, I'll come around and, and give you a, a taste. The first one is the Ancho Espresso. So that is a great one with a, with a large umami flavor packed in there, the, the, the fifth flavor. And that comes from the anchovies that's in there with the coffee powder. Okay, Ancho Espresso. No, I'm kidding. There's no anchovies in there. <laughs> so many people just went, oh, it's, it's Ancho Chili. So it's, it's chili and espresso coffee uh, grinds. It's actually delicious. Really, really good. This one is the, is Lane's Brisket Rub. Now, Lane's is a major sponsor of this event today. They are just down there on the left. Regardless of that, this is still what I go to. Okay? Um, this is a real sort of Texan style. Uh, it's salt, pepper, and garlic. A few other little things, maybe some onion, but that's essentially it. Those are the three, the three tenants. So anyone want to have a taste? Or you'll come get some later? I'm just going to pass them around. How about that? There you go. So yeah, so those are really good, really delicious. And they're actually designed by a guy in the United States who is a, he's a professional barbecue competitor. And he's developed these lines of rubs. And so each, each rub is specifically uh, designed from ingredients to complement that particular cut of meat. Uh, my personal favorite, if you like spicy chicken wings, go pick up some of his lime and chili seasoning and a bit of his uh, white sauce and find some... Um, buffalo sauce. Hit them on the, with the spice rub on the grill, toss them through the orange buffalo sauce and then drizzle the Lane's white sauce over the top. Happy days. So we've got our grill, we've got our charcoal, we've spiced our meat. It's time to get to the cooking. Don't underestimate plastic gloves, latex gloves. Very important stuff. Great for food safety and keeps your hands clean for doing different stuff throughout the uh, throughout the cooking process. You don't have to stop and wash your hands every three minutes where you go and do something else. Now, quick show of hands, who's overcooked some meat before? Yeah, it's sad, isn't it? It is heartbreaking, particularly with brisket prices now that uh, low and slow barbecue has become popular. Someone told me he, he got hit with uh, $45 a kilo for brisket a little while ago. Whoo! Who can remember when that was the giveaway food from the butcher? Yeah, yeah, now it's 45 bucks a kilo. Yikes, but delicious. There are a couple of tools here that I'm going to show you, a couple of gadgets that are going to help sort of resolve that issue for you. The first one's very cost effective. This is called an ink bird. 
and it's a Bluetooth multi-probe thermometer. So this particular model, they, they come in two, four or six probes. The probes click into the side and you've got some probes that you will, depending on which smoker you're using and how it's set up. In this particular one, I just put one on to measure the grill temp. So it comes with a little clip and you put the clip in there, slide the probe there, the wire out through the vent, because remember this is the vent that we're leaving open. Slide the wire out through the vent into the unit and it talks to your phone. So th there's an app for it and it, it tells you, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. But wait, I got, I got, I got more stuff. And you, you can set alarms on it. So if the fire drops to a certain temperature, if it spikes, if it gets too high, there's multiple other probes you can put in there. So if you're cooking a couple of different bits of meat on there, you stick those probes in the meat and then you set those alarms on the meats and it'll tell you when they're done. Um, the only drawback, okay, the, the great bit is that it's Bluetooth. The drawback is that it's Bluetooth. So it's very convenient and it's very cost effective. If you've got, you know, six walls between where you are and where you're cooking, it's going to drop out. So uh, that's, I think that's about 50 bucks, 60 bucks. So that's, that's really good stuff. That's a really good start. Moving up from that is this little guy here. Not nearly as visually attractive as this guy. This is called a fireboard. And again, it's six probes. Same deal. Put one on the grill to, to tell me the temperature on the grill. The other five I can use for different cuts of meat. So you see some of these giant trailer smokers here. They might have five, six, eight briskets in there. And they put the probes in the different briskets in the different places. This guy works on Wi-Fi. So if you're at home and you're... It, and it connects to your Wi-Fi, you can access it from anywhere in the world. So you check into your app. Oh, yep, you, you could be down at Bunnings getting more charcoal because you've forgotten to buy charcoal. And it'll tell you, um, and you can set alarms for fireplaces and whatnot, uh, for fire temperatures and, and meat temperatures. So this is exactly, this guy here is exactly what I used last night. So I put my, I brought my truck in, laid my swag out in the back of the truck, set up the beef ribs in there, one probe on the grill, one probe in one of the racks of beef ribs. I set the alarms. I've got a little Telstra plug-in mobile Wi-Fi box. That talks to that. This talks to the internet. And I could check it from my phone and I set the alarms on my phone. So I still managed to get nine hours sleep last night, despite the fact that I was cooking all night through a barbecue festival. I shouldn't tell you that because I know some of you were here this morning. You're like, oh, wow, wow, you've been cooking all night. Eh, not so much. I got up three times through the night just to top up the fire. Uh, wrap the meats at a certain stage, that sort of thing. And um, the next level up after that is my smartwatch talks to my phone. And so this guy will actually send me an SMS. It'll send me a message, a, a text message, and then that then vibrates on my arm. So if I sleep through the, through, through the beeping alarm on the phone, I then get vibrations on my wrist telling me to get up and, and go check the fire. So that is a, that's a good couple hundred bucks. And in my opinion, that's worth every cent. Um, if you've got a kettle-style barbecue or a bullet-style barbecue, there is a fan adapter attachment possible as well. So you can actually pop a fan in through the vents in the bottom of those round-type smokers, and this guy will actually control the airflow into the smoker. So you, you can set it exactly to the temperature, and it'll control the fan to keep it at that, at that constant temperature. So that's the next level for that guy. Now, this guy is what we call an instant read thermometer. This particular one is a thermopen, and this one is the latest model. It's the IR, the infrared. What that means is uh, if you were here yesterday, you would have been here for the State Cook-Off Association uh, Championships. 
you would have seen them with very different looking grills on the top there. Those are called grill grates. And the secret to cooking those perfect looking steaks with the perfect lines in them is those grill grates. And you want to get them to about 500 to 550 degrees Fahrenheit. And I do apologize because I do speak Fahrenheit. I was taught barbecue by my mother-in-law who's American. So I speak Fahrenheit. Anyway, so this guy here has a an infrared uh, thermosensor in the bottom there. Point it at the grill. It'll tell you how hot it is. You can adjust the vents accordingly. The other end is the probe and it's almost instant. It's within two seconds, three seconds. It'll give you an exact read of the temperature of the meat. So if you're, if, if you're aiming for rare, medium rare, medium, all that sort of stuff, that's how you can do that and, and how you can get that a bit more accurate rather than, oh yeah, that's about one beer's worth of time. That's about two beers worth of time. But it just gets a little bit more accurate than, uh, that, than how fast you can drink your beers. So again, that's, uh, that's up around the $200 mark, Thermapen, T-H-E-R-M-A, pen in one word, Thermapen. Highly, highly recommended. Great bit of gear. And you will see every team here has one of them because they are that good. They are the go-to. Good with the gadgets. Any questions about the gadgets? Nope. Yes. Fireboard. F-I-R-E-B-O-A-R-D. Fireboard. I love that guy. Ultra reliable. Uh, runs on batteries or on mains. So you can set that up that way too. All right. So we've, we've got our barbecue. We've got our charcoal. We've controlled it all. We've lit it. We're watching the temperatures. We've reached a point where the meat has hit the stall. So if you're here for this morning for the, uh, for the beef rib demo, I was talking a little bit about the stall. It hits at about 160 degrees and it then at Fahrenheit, please don't cook your meat to 160 degrees Celsius, you're going to have a bad day. 160 degrees Fahrenheit and then it's called the stall because for the longest period the meat won't rise in temperature. And there's a whole bunch of different scientific explanations for that but I'm not going to get into that right now. One of the ways that you can get around that to shorten that period, the meat will eventually rise to the 200 Fahrenheit sort of 195 to 205 sort of point you're looking for. The meat will eventually get there, but there's a couple of things that you can do to sort of shorten that curve. And one of them is to wrap the meat at about the 160 Fahrenheit point, which is the alarm that I set on this guy this morning. So at, at about three o'clock this morning, this went off telling me the meat was at 160. So I just got up, staggered outside, wrapped up the meat, put it back on the smoker and went back into my truck and went back to sleep. Depending on what you're cooking, there's two types of things that you can wrap it in. The first one, is we call it peach paper, mostly because of the color. I don't think it's actually made of peach trees. And this, it's a type of paper, so it's breathable. So are we familiar with the term bark? Yes, a couple of people saying yes, okay. The bark is that kind of crunchy exterior shell that you get on these low and slow meats um, to sort of contrast with the nice, soft, juicy, beautiful, creamy interiors. Now. A lot of people will wrap in foil, and I'll give you the hot tip right now. If you are going to cook in foil, make the trip to Costco and go get some of this. This is uh, the Costco commercial grade foil, and you'll just feel the thickness on that. You just sort of pass these little bits around. This is a game changer if you're into barbecue. If you're just trying to do uh, low and slow barbecue with regular supermarket alfoil, you're going to have a horrible time because all those crunchy bark edges or if any bones start poking out, you're going to be shredding that foil and losing all the 
delicious meat juices that are coming out of your meat. Um, so there's the foil. One catch with foil is not to wrap it too tightly because you'll end up trapping too much moisture in there and then all your delicious crunchy bark can go soft. So one way I get around that is I use the paper. And you can, you can wrap your meat in the paper and then pop it in the tray so that in, if any moisture, any uh, of the jus does escape from the paper, you still catch it in the tray. And after you've sliced or pulled your meat, pour the juices back over the top. So that's a, just a quick wrap up on the different papers there for wrapping. And depending on what you're cooking, it will govern how long you'll keep it wrapped for. So if it's pork ribs, um, anyone had a crack at pork ribs at home? Yeah, did you try three, two, one? No? Yeah, how'd it go? Bit too long. Yeah, yeah. That's because the the three, two, one method that you'll see on on uh, YouTube and that sort of stuff, that's uh, an American approach to doing it, and it works for them because their pigs are uh, processed later in life, so the pigs are physically bigger, and the the butchers also cut the ribs differently. The butchers cut it so that there's more of the belly meat left on the ribs. So that's why three, two, one works over there. Over here, our ribs are uh, always smaller because our pigs are processed a lot younger in their lives. And um, our butchers are trained to preserve as much belly meat as possible because over here in Australia, the belly has always been higher in demand than the ribs. So if you're gonna try something like three, two, one, three, three years on the smoker uncovered, two hours wrapped, one hour uncovered again. So if you're trying it here in Australia, you're gonna to have to experiment a little bit. I'd start with two, one half. Okay, cut that down a bit, cut those stages down and see how you go. When I was first getting into this, I went to Coles and I bought some ribs from Coles. Have you seen Coles ribs? They're so shiny, aren't they? You can see the bones coming through the top. You don't wanna see bones. That's why we call them shiners, because they're shiny, the bones are shiny. You just wanna see a nice layer of meat across the top. So I bought these ribs. I brought them home to my wife. I said, honey, I realize you're feeling a bit homesick. I'm gonna make you pork ribs. What I should have said was I'm gonna make you boot leather. Because after trying to three, two, one these tiny little Coles ribs, it was just, whoo, that was something else. You'll have to find um, either a low and slow specialist butcher or strike up a relationship with your butcher and then ask them and explain how you want it cut. Um, no one likes it when someone comes in and tells them how to do their job. So build that relationship first. Don't just come in cold off the street and go, hey, oh, you, you're cutting it wrong. Cut it this way because you won't get a good response. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So baby backs are kind of further back on the, on the rack. They're the ones with the big curve in them. And um, as, you, as the rib cage comes around, the, the ribs kind of flatten out and flatten out and flatten out. So a lot of the teams here prefer the St. Louis cuts because the bones are almost perfectly straight and they just line up, they present better in the box. Um, so yeah, you're looking for uh, up around Brisbane up here. Like, are you local to Brisbane? Yep, so, okay, so you wanna look for meat at Billy's, you wanna look for prime cuts, um, you wanna look for low and slow um, in, in, I think they're Tingalpa. Um, so there are like, especially up here, you're lucky up here in Brisbane, you got loads of uh, specialist uh, low and slow style butchers. So hit them up um, or as I said, strike up a relationship with your butcher, build that relationship and then ask them very politely, oh, would you mind cutting it this way for me? Do expect that you will pay a little bit more because they are sacrificing that belly 
that is otherwise very profitable for them, uh, they will be sacrificing that belly to provide you the ribs that you're after. So you will pay a little bit more for them. Yeah? All right, who likes pretty stuff? Yeah? Yay! Woo! Okay. This guy here. I love this guy. This is my handmade Macca leather knife rolls. Macca's the guy down in Tasmania that puts them together. Hey, yeah, sure, man. Come on through. No worries. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's Rob. He cooks on Jolene down here from Smoking Hot and Saucy. Not only is that man feeding literally thousands of people today off his giant smoker, he's actually competing yesterday and competing today as well. So he's actually a legend of the barbecue scene. That's why I was giving him a bit of a razz there. Um, he's driven all the way up from Newcastle in a like a eight-ton truck with that uh, that thing on a crane. It needs a crane to pick it up and drop it in. It's really impressive. Really, really good stuff. Biggest smoker in Australia. Anyway, Macca leather knife roll. Good knives are really important. Um, it's always the dull knife that's going to cut you. I was just cutting a tomato on like Wednesday night, and I was uh, using my wife's knives out of the uh, out of the kitchen drawer and just took a giant chunk out. Um, so you need somewhere nice to keep them. So the Macca knife roll, he custom makes them. He'll put as many pockets in it as you want. You can come check out the the quality of work on it later on. He laser etches the, the logos and things on them. A lot of teams around here have them. They're just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Um, so the first thing I want to show you out of here, the nice shiny thing. The girls are like, oh, it's not nice and shiny. It's just tools. Um, is a good sharpener or a, a, a steel. You want to put that edge back on the knife. It's, not, it's technically not going to sharpen the knife. It's just going to refine the edge on there. Um, this particular one is FDIC brand, uh, made, in, made in Germany. Um, very nice bit of gear. You will see cheaper ones that are quite uh, rugged, quite you know, rough on, on the edge. You want that to be quite a, like, you, you will feel it, but you still want it to be nice and smooth. You don't want to be like feeling your knife drag across it going <laughs> across it. So, and let's pick one. All right. You will see people stand here for like 15 minutes. Okay. They're, they have OCD. Um, you only need to do maybe half a dozen and then just finish off the last couple. Just watch your angle on it. Get your angle nice. And... You really shouldn't be bringing it back towards yourself, but I really am terrible trying to do it with my left hand, so I'm always very careful. Bring it back in that way and just watch that angle. Make sure that's nice. You don't need to do it 25 times, half a dozen times quick, and then just one or two nice slow ones to finish it off. A steel, very important. Next, if you're cooking large cuts, briskets and whatnot, you want a brisket knife. That is about as nice as they come. That's a made by a guy called Cutthroat down in uh, Melbourne. He hand makes them all and uh, he will make them to specification. So this particular one is a Kanto knife. It's got a Japanese Kanto samurai inspired uh, tip on it and it's perfectly weighted, beautiful ergonomic handle. He'll custom make you know, any kind of handle you want on it. And that is to, you don't want it serrated because of that bark. It's going it, to, the serrated edge will dig into the bark and rip the bark off the, uh, off the brisket. So you want a nice, big, long, sharp brisket knife like that and just very gently take it through. It's very nice there. Um, always have a good kitchen utility knife. That's always handy. Flexible bladed boning knife is good. This one is a Geyser. 
um, very handy. You would have seen me in the beef ribs this morning. Because the blade is flexible, I was able to slide it down between the bone and the uh, membrane across the back and just sort of lever that through, leverage that out. Um, again, these are ultra sharp. You want to keep that like fine one with a reasonable amount of flex, but not too much because you want to be able to leverage it. And uh, that's very handy. And then the last one I like to keep is just a little paring knife. It's great for little bits of detail work to get in there and just sort of trim things up nice and neat. Any questions about knives? No? Um, a few quick tips about uh, knife care. Um, the story is that uh, dishwashers are bad for knives. The, um, the, the acids in the detergents sort of eat the edge off the blade. I don't know about that. Um, but what I will tell you is that um, storing them in a drawer is the fastest way to, to dull the edges off them. They clash against each other. Jump online, grab yourselves a couple of little magnetic strips, um, mount them on the wall, and uh, stick them on the wall. That'll be a lot better. All right. Nearly there. Nearly finished. Then you can all come up and have a look at what I got up here. We've got our, uh, our barbecue, we've got our charcoal, we've lit it up, we've monitored it, we've wrapped the meats, we've used our knives for trimming it up and getting it all ready. You need to have a decent cutting board. Mine's a very hard working cutting board. It's time for a sand and a polish again. Uh, sorry, a sand and an oil. Um, but a really good quality cutting board is, is going to save you. And if you think it's too big, it's probably not big enough. Um, the bigger the cutting board, the better, particularly for these larger cuts of meat, because you end up with juices and things pouring over. And um, you will actually find some that will have a groove around there and then a notch in the end. So you can slide a little pan or something in underneath and all the juices are going to come out of your meat. You're going to catch them in the pan underneath and then pour them back over the top. Absolutely fantastic. If you do go to uh, kitchenware shops, you will get packs that are the boards are different colors and therefore uh, like commercial kitchens, you can use them for different, different meats, different colors are for different meats. So... If you're really into your food safety and that sort of stuff at home, that's an, that's an option for you as well. Um, how often do you get left with leftovers? Some people are saying, what are leftovers? <laughs> All right. This is probably the most mundane thing I'm going to show you. This is just a little vacuum seal. I'm, I'm guessing probably everyone's seen one of these knows what these are. Um, they come with their own special little plastic bags. They suck the air out of it and then heat seal across the top. The reason that your food gets freezer burnt in the freezer is because there's too much air in there. The vacuum seal bag will suck all the air out of there, wrap the plastic to it, it keeps all the juices in there and it stops it getting freezer burnt. So if you've got something that you've cooked in there, and let's face it, if we're buying brisket, we're spending a lot of money, we're spending a lot more time on it, we don't want to get it freezer burnt and then look at it and go, ah, oh, throw it away. So this guy gets a hell of a workout at my house, the, uh, the vacuum sealer. Anything we do, uh, even if I'm trimming a brisket, I'll keep all the, all the trimmings. I'll put the trimmings in, and then when I've got enough, I'll run it through the mincer and we make hamburgers. Um, so the vacuum sealer is great, and it also means that you'll have a much better way of reheating your barbecue. The worst way to reheat brisket is to throw it in the microwave. It's going to come out rubber. It's, uh, the microwave's just going to ruin it. So if you've got it in a vacuum seal bag, just get a saucepan, get some cold water out of the tap, fill it up, Put the whole vacuum seal bag in the in the saucepan and just gently bring it up to a boil. And by the time the water's rolling, that meat will have gently risen inside that bag. And so you will have hit that temperature you want. So it's nice and hot and fresh again, but you haven't lost in you the moisture. So it's going to taste 
98% as good as the day you cooked it six months later when you pull it out and you defrost it. So that's a great tip right there. Uh, it's probably the most boring though. <laughs> it's, it's not sharp and shiny. It's not uh, different colors. It's not techno. Um, but yeah, so that's it. This is the, uh, the basic range of toys that I use uh, when I'm cooking barbecue, when I travel around to these different food festivals. And um, this guy, would you believe it or not, made it through customs to America and back. So uh, that was pretty good, getting animal products in and then getting them back out again. So feel free to come on up. We're going to uh, wrap it up now. Come on up, ask me some questions, ask whatever you like. Um, pull things out, have a bit of a look at it. Do be very, very careful if you do want to have a look in this role. I don't mind if you do, but please do be careful. I'm just going to ask the kids don't have a look in here. Um, but adults, you're welcome to come and have a bit of a look at them if you like. And uh, yeah, come on up. Let's have a chat. Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. Welcome to Brisbane Barbecue Festival Awards Ceremony. And uh, we're going to uh, introduce Julian now, the man who's put it all together for us. He's put on the weekend for us to come and play with. So Julian, please come up on stage and say a few words to us. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. Event promoter, Julian DeSouza. Thanks guys, that'd be some response. Hey, um, let me start by saying a big thank you to all of you for your, your support over the last couple of years while I've been learning about barbecue events and events in general. Um, and I, I do thank those of you that have been supporting my events right from the beginning. Um, these events wouldn't be possible without a lot of different people. Uh, first of all, a big thank you to uh, my support staff. So we've got Summer from Somersault Marketing, who's been there right from the start of the Barbecue and Beer Roadshow. Thank you, Summer. Big round of applause for Summer, guys. Um, and then a big thank you to the sponsors. Uh, Sun Pork, who have been uh, helping us out with the last couple of events. Uh, big thank you to Boss Barbecue for giving away a very generous prize and, and a great launch. Uh, Brett and Lane's Barbecue Australia, uh, great rubs. Uh, a big thank you to them as well. And uh, our beer partner this year was ANK Purveyors with a whole range of different beers to choose from. I think we had 15 beers all together uh, this year. We might increase that next year. Uh, the breweries involved with New England Brewery, uh, the Flying Big Cider, New uh, Welder's Dog, Wayward uh, Brewing, and Bridge Road Brewing. So a very big thank you to them for keeping all of us uh, hydrated. In this Absolutely delicious. I'll say a big thank you to Ben. Uh, ben has been with us the last couple of years. He does a fantastic job. A great ambassador for barbecue in Australia. Wins awards around the world now. That's right. Uh, uh, gets great content for his podcast at our event, uh, shares, goes over and above uh, 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 what we can ask him. So can we have another round of applause? And a big thank you to the ABA, the sanctioning body for this, uh, this competition, uh, to Demi, who's come up from Armadale, to Don, who's come up all the way from Canberra, and the lovely Rachel, who's going to come up on stage now and announce the winners. Hey, Rach. Hey, Rach. All right. It's been a while since I've been up on stage. Got lots of paper and stuff. So uh, I'll call top ten. 
and all the tie breaks. You're welcome. Uh, then we'll go into third place, third, second, and first up on stage. Third place, you guys get 300 cash and a trophy. Second prize, you get 400 cash and a trophy. Uh, first place in each category gets 500 cash and a trophy that also fits a beer in it perfectly. Just ask Al from the Mongrels. <laughs> All right, so straight into it. We've got Chicken, the Dirty Bird. So honourable mentions, in 10th place tied, you've got Brizzy Basters. You've also got Puff Puff Based. In ninth place, The Charcoal Project. In eighth place, the debatable Smoking Hot Bros. In seventh place, oh snap, Country Boys. Sponsored by Long Slow Meat Coat and Delpa. You're welcome. Fourth place, we've got some ties. So we go from seventh down to fourth. We've got Smoking Daggers, Zed's Q, and Double Barrel Barbecue. Thanks, Very Adrian, nice. for turning up. Yeah, boy. <laughs> okay, so if third place could come on up, please. Roll and smoke barbecue. Yeah. All right, in second place for chicken. I've got to be very careful when I'm saying certain names. Smoking Cods Barbecue. Chicken, hashtag nailed it. I think with a 297, maybe I'm lying. I don't know, you guys will know soon. Bogan Barbecue! Who works, Scotty? Okay, Lamb. Honorable mentions, tied in 10th. The Smoking Hot Bros. And Puff Puff Based. Going down to ninth, Smoke and Daggers. Eighth, we've got Signature Smoke. Yeah, recovering from spinal surgery. You are welcome. In seventh place, Smoking Dog Barbecue. Tied in fifth, you have Bogan Barbecue. And Charcoal Kings. And in fourth place, Smoky Days Barbecue. All right, can I please get up on stage? Third place, Country Boys Barbecue. In second place, Primal Iron Barbecue. Time down. I didn't just swear again. All good, all good, all good. We got this. All right, Lamb, first place. Roll and smoke barbecue. Okay, so we've got Leah from Lanes coming up to help out with the brisket category. 
sexy Remember all those uh, teams that brisket was the third hand in for those teams that didn't understand? Yeah, we're good? Okay. Sorry, boys. All good. All right. Take your son. Bloody hell. Have some respect. All right, so in ninth place, because we've got a tie, we have Double Barrel Barbecue. Woo! Suppers, smoking suppers. Another Thai, ABA, Thai Barbecue Alliance. Spare Team One, aka Smoking Hot and Saucy. These boys surprised me with a late entry this morning. Uh, and you also have Brizzy Basters. In sixth place, the shortest guys in barbecue, Barbecue Inc. Lol, they're giants. In fifth place, Signature Smoke. In fourth place, Charcoal Kings. Okay. Can I please get up? In third place, Brisket Category, sponsored by Lane's Barbecue Australia, Zed's Q. Second place, <gasps> Primal Lion Barbecue! First place, Brisket, sponsored by Lane's Barbecue Australia, with a handsome Blair up on stage. Swipe right on Tinder, ladies. First place, Smoking Barbecue! to go home. Get on up here. This is how you're meant to come up on stage, guys. <laughs> okay, so pork ribs, honourable mentions, in 10th place, the Okay, in eighth place, Tied, Smoking Cots, and Smoking Hot and Saucy. In seventh place, we have the Charcoal Project. In sixth, Puff Puff Based. In fifth, Charcoal Kings. In fourth place, the Smoking Hot Bros. Okay, if I could have up here, please, on stage. I'm trying to look for them, but I cannot see them. Third place, Mikasu. In second place for Pork Ribs, Rolling Smoke Barbecue. And kids, if you're at home watching, I'm sure they're screaming right now at the phone. In first place for pork ribs, and I'm sick of hearing these people saying, oh, they're a really bad cook. Well, your first place, you jerks, smoking suppers!
Okay. If I can grab Blair back up, because I was going to get... Blair's going to give the 500 cash to the rookie team. We had three rookie teams eligible. Huh? Oh, it's not spare team one. No. All right. I forgot who it was, so I did write it down. So a trophy and 500 bucks cash from Blair, repping for Lane's Barbecue Australia, and it goes to It's Good Barbecue. These guys were the first to hand in every category, standing there very patiently. So for RGC, we have two and a half grand and a trophy, which I'm pretty sure could hold a beer or go over to the mongrels and they'll fashion something and make sure you can hold a beer. I haven't got there yet. I'm doing top 10. Calm down. Not my first rodeo. Got to throw the cash out first. <laughs> so top 10 honourable mentions in 10th place. Double Barrel Barbecue. In ninth place, we have Scotty from Bogan Barbecue. In eighth place, we've got Smoking Cods Barbecue. In seventh place, Puff Puff Based. In sixth, Smoking Suppers. Smoking Hot Bros. In fourth place, Country Boys Barbecue. In third place, Primal Iron Barbecue. All right, I'll do the money thing again. Thanks, mongrels. So Kelly from Boss Barbecue, two and a half grand and a trophy. RGC for the Breezy Barbecue Festival for 2019 is the Charcoal Kings. Yeah. Grand Champion, Brisbane Barbecue Fest 2019. He just winked at me like a creep. <laughs> Damn it, Rollins Smoke There's a bit of man love happening down here as well. And there you have it, family, the 2019 Brisbane Barbecue Festival. Huge congrats go out to the Charcoal Kings and Roland Smoke on their RGC and GC winnings. The points ladder is really heating up at the moment and we're in the second half of the year, so it's only going to get more exciting from here. Before I let you go, I want to remind you about the Hail Mary t-shirts, the Smoking Hot Confessions community on Facebook, and if you have a minute, it'd really help me out if you could subscribe, rate, and review the show. The ratings and reviews trigger the algorithms and make Apple distribute the podcast further and wider, so they are really important and very much appreciated. And that's the end of the show. Till next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing.